Hey friends, my name's Stevie Taylor. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. My guest today is bass player Victor Rounds. Born in Fiji, his family migrated to Sydney in the uh, mid-60s for a better way of life. From guitar and ukulele, he picked up the bass around the age of 15, tuned his transistor radio and some local radio stations and taught himself everything he heard. Since then, Victor's played with Jenny Morris, Marsha Hines, Renee Geyer, Tina Arena, Rick Astley, Paul Gray and Glue, just to name a few. Everybody knows who Victor Rounds is, still very much in demand. We hung out at his house, had a beer and chatted about his career. He's got a really cool story about Tower of Power and some old dude named Paul McCartney or something. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, one of the coolest cats in town, Victor Rounds. Cheers. Rolling. Okay. Victor Rounds. Hello, how are you? Steve Good, Taylor. mate. <laughs> Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks yeah, for having me. Thank you for having me in your home. You're most welcome. Uh, no worries. Um, what have you been up to today? Uh, today, of all days, uh, what do I do? Yeah, I bought a... I bought a nice rug from Gumtree on the weekend, <laughs> and you're probably you're looking at it right there on your right shoulder. Picked it up for fifty bucks, mate. It's so all right. That's a good bargain. So that's what I was doing: moving furniture around Sweet. and putting the rug in there and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. No music today. Absolutely no music today. I yeah. think the, all the music happened on the weekend. So, yeah. you know, Monday, Tuesday is just like chill out time. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of musicians are like that yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know. Yeah. And um, what? What we do music-wise on the weekend? Music-wise, on Saturday I did a, a wedding. On Sunday I went to a function. I didn't actually play. Friday I did a wedding too as well. And uh, Wednesday, last Wednesday, I did a gig with... Uh, there's a band around travelling around Australia at the moment called The Voices. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of singers, like lead singers from various bands. You're like Dale Ryder is from Boom Crash Opera. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> He's in this group with uh, Jason Singh, who's from a band called Taxi Ride from Melbourne. Yep, yep. They had a couple of hits about yep. a decade ago. Yep. Yeah, Taxi Ride. Uh, Reese Maston, he's yep. a, a voice winner, but although he wasn't on this particular gig. Yep. And uh, but he, he's there sometimes. He's is he? part of the the voices thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Only because this was like a small corporate gig, they only brought the three singers up. So okay, so you do all the voices. I do the voices it's, when they come up to Sydney. Oh, okay, right. So yep. that basically, that's how a lot of acts work now in Australia. They used to, at first, take their own band with them, but that just that's just too costly at the, yeah, yeah. at this stage of the game. So what they do is, cleverly, they have a, a rhythm section in every capital city. Yep. So mm. basically pick, some, pick them up there and then just do the gigs, mm-hmm. which is very cost-effective, you know. Yeah. And, and it makes sense too as well. Yeah. Who's the drummer on your rhythm section? Uh, for the voices, we've got Fab, yep, yep. Fab uh, Fabrizio on yep. the day, and yep. um, this time around we had uh, 
Chris Gonzalez on guitar. Okay, yeah. So just the three of us. Great. And uh, the voices taking around lead guitar play with them or rhythm guitar play with them. Yep. So Adam's surnames and from Melbourne and yeah, it works really well. Mm. Yeah, it's good. So we did a gig on Wednesday night for uh, a corporate company and uh, man, half an hour set. That's it. Really? Yeah. 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 Just whack out all the hits yeah. and then get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Money in your pocket and you're gone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those kind of gigs are good, you know. This is, um, I mean, we're in the middle of November now, so this is the the, the silly season where kick off, yeah. musicians are actually quite active now, just running around, working, doing gigs. Yeah. This is the season when a lot of people get married, yep. so they're always wanting, you know, marriage bands and stuff like that. So, yep. yeah, yep. it's good. So you're sort of fully... You're booked up. <clears throat> the the book is quite full at this yep. stage, yep. yeah. And um, January and February is looking good too as well. Awesome. So you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, I'm always thankful when the, yeah, yeah. the book's kind of filling up as you go along. Yeah, you know? yeah. But it's that you know, it's that industry. You just never know when your next gig's coming, you yeah, know, right. unless you've been booked way ahead. You right. Know? Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Let's um, let's roll right back to the start. So you're from Fiji originally. Yeah, originally born in Suva, Fiji. Yep, yep. Born to um, <clears throat> parents. My mother's from Tonga. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a musician. I think I've picked up my talents from her mm-hmm. because she um, she <clears throat> she was the first. Uh, she married my dad. My dad's from Fiji. Yep. So mum's from Tonga. And my dad used to be a uh, merchant seaman. And then he worked, started working for the government, uh, did a contract in uh, installing marker beacons, navigation beacons all around the islands of Fiji. And then his job also took him to Tonga. So when he went to Tonga, that's where he met my mother. Right. And then things happened and yep. one thing led to another. She came over to Fiji, yep. settled down, got married and you know, had five children. Yeah. Me being the youngest of yep. the, the five siblings. Yep. But she was also a very good musician, mm-hmm. avid musician. She played the banjo, violin, yep. piano, sang, yep. ukulele, you just name it. So I think we all got our music from her. And so the rest of your all brothers? <clears throat> yeah, I've, uh, I'm the youngest of yep. um, four brothers yep. um, and then one sister. One sister, yep. yeah. Yeah. And you're all musicians? Uh, three of us were musicians. Okay, yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. One ended up becoming a priest. Okay. Yeah, so he kind of like... But he still was quite musical, you yep. know. And my sister dabbled in music, but she was more like a, a outgoing type of a lady that just worked, travelled and did worked in media. Yeah. And ended up working for NGOs, and then she ended up working in the government as a cabinet minister. So, mm. yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, music definitely was the main thing in our family. On weekends, we'd all get together and just, just play. Just the party you know, sort of yeah. thing, yeah. But, you know, as in <clears throat> coming from... We migrated over here in about 60, 65, mm-hmm. 66. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so we came over here for a, a better way of life, better education. You know? I mean, if for anyone back in those days... To be able to emigrate, especially from the South Pacific, and go to a country like either New Zealand, um, Australia, or Canada, or mm. the West Coast of America, mm. that was a big thing, man. There was, you know, not many people could afford that. So, yeah. my dad had the—he um, you know, just thought there was more scope for the rest of the family to 
to move on. So, you know, we were very thankful that he thought about us and made that big move. Yeah. But uh, he came from the old school of working hard. You know, he came from a family of like 11 kids. Mm. And he had to leave school when he was 13 just to support his family. So he missed out on education. So what he, what he wanted, intended to do for us is not to have that same situation. So he just brought us here for a better way of life. Mm. So, which was good. Um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but <clears throat> I'd completed the high school and did all that and was supposed to go into university, but I was starting to, I was dabbling in music, like playing in bands and stuff like that. So, what, what instrument to start with? Well, when I was young in Fiji, we all, if you're, if you're growing up in the neighbourhood, everybody, there's peer pressure, everyone has to play the biscuit tin, mm -hmm. you've got to have some kind of rhythm, mm -hmm. you know, learn to swim, ride a bicycle, climb a tree, climb coconut trees, mm -hmm. do a blah, blah, blah. And the first musical instruments we all learned to play was the ukulele. Okay. Only because of our size. Mm -hmm. And then from the ukulele, you just, you graduated onto you know, acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. And then from acoustic guitar, just, you started playing around with T basses, you know, the T chest basses. It's, it's, it's just basically a big box. Oh, with, with the, the stick and the yeah, 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 just yep, yep. one string. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was our first introduction to bass, so to, to speak. Bottom end. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't really playing any particular notes. It was just providing a thump, you know. Boom, thought, yeah, boom, boom, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. You could almost call it like bass stroke, uh, bass drum. Yep. Because <clears throat> the tone you were pulling was really a thump. You know, yeah. Like boom. And, but the technique was to give it more like a rhythmic feeling. Yeah, cool. That kind of plucking sound, yeah. you know. Could you change, did you, <clears throat> you realise early on you could change the time, were you changing the time by bending the stick or do you? No, just bending the stick. Bending the stick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, when you, yeah, when you look at it technically, you, you should, on a stick bass, you should actually be pressing the string down yeah. to try and get another, the next pitch, yeah. or the next tone. Yeah. But <clears throat> it doesn't kind of work on that because you don't have a fretboard to actually... You muffle it. To, well, to get the new note. Yep. Because you've got, you've got your finger on it, you know, whereas, you know, on a modern guitar, if you're related to that, it's actually the nut. Yeah. So it's got to be material, string, material at the end. So being the bridge... And the nut. Gotcha. But when you got your finger on it, it's not really much of a turn. So yep. what people used to do was actually bend the stick. Bend the stick, yeah. Bend the stick back. So what you do is you have a short string, not a really long string, so you've got that leverage to get lots more turns. So when you bend the stick back, you're not yeah. the, the string won't touch the the stick. The stick, yeah, yeah right, yeah. And then I used to be fascinated because a lot of guys back home, man, you know. <clears throat> Just talented, you know, with a good musical ear, you know. But what I liked more really was their rhythm. Yeah. Just the way they could just pluck, pluck yep. away, you know. Yep. And, and it was all about the rhythmic thing. You, you, you can, who cares about what note you're playing? It's just when they heard that, doo -doo 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 -doo, it's like, wow, man. <laughs> the focus was on the string bass to play, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so just went from that and um, that was growing up in Fiji. Then we migrated here when I was about. 11 years old or 12 years old and then stopped playing for a while because you know we had to go to school and all that blah 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 then but you know on the weekends we were gathering around my brothers played played and sing sang yep 
uh, one of my brothers played piano accordion and ukulele and my other brother John he played guitar and sang so mm -hmm. it was always always look forward to the weekends because just all our families our, our siblings and their wives and kids just came along it was just a big party time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. But I mean, I think that's kind of like an island way of yep. island style yep. social gathering. You know? Yeah, yeah, New Zealand too. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Before we started, you know, going out and actually socialising in the, the local community. You know? Yep, yep. You first feel safe amongst your own of course. Yeah. mob, and then once you get to know your neighbourhood, then you venture out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And was it always Sydney? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of bizarre. Like Dad was. Everyone was, when we were preparing to come here in the 60s, late 60s, everyone was saying, oh, my dad's name was Fred, Alfred. And he says, Dad, how come you're not going to New Zealand? Because that's where everyone's going. You're like Auckland or how come you're not going to Canada or LA? And Dad just always read about this country, Australia, you know, it was like the new frontier. Right. And back then, too, they were looking for skilled labourers. Right. And Dad was a, you know, a carpenter, yep. shipbuilder carpenter. Mm -hmm. So he had all the skills. Yep. And he said, no, we're going to Australia. So. And then now you fast forward to today, this is like the country that you want to be in mm -hmm. at this, this stage of the, you know, the global situation, yeah. <laughs> whatever is Absolutely. going on. It may not be the perfect country, yeah. but you know, I think Australia and New Zealand, are, I, I thought they were on par, but I think NZ's pretty cool too. That's cool. Stage, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then when I came here, um, did my primary school, went to high school, still listening to music. Playing um, in bands at high school? You know what, it was kind of conservative back in the days. Because oh. I went to a, a private school, I went to Morris Brothers at North Sydney. And in my time, it was frowned upon if you dabbled in music. Really? It was bizarre. It's like you either had to partake in sport, which I did, you know, I played rugby in the season, um, rugby league, um, played cricket in the season, did athletics, did everything. But, well, I don't think, I think I, re I do recall mentioning once or twice to my mates that I was like mucking around playing bands on the weekends mm. and mm. they went, oh, what do you want to do that for, man? That's like sissy stuff, you know? Oh, what? Yeah, it was bizarre. It was really bizarre. But that was... I don't know whether it was just my school, you know, mm. because we had a lot of restrictions then, you know, you weren't allowed to, if your hair was longer, like more than two inches over your collar, you were suspended for the day. You can't come really? back to school unless you got a haircut. That must be the, uh, the Catholic thing, you know. And uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, I got suspended a couple of times, but this was towards the end of my senior years, you know. And it was only just in my final year that I do recall that our school did have a band as such. And in that band was a guy, Rory O'Donnell, who one of the guys out of uh, Auntie Jack on the ABC series. Right. Yeah, he was actually, he was a pretty outgoing character. And I thought, man, this guy's going to go far. And sure enough, he did. You yeah, know? right. You saw it back then. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I'm proud to say that I went, I was only a few years behind him at, at yeah, our yeah. school, you know. Yeah. And he has since passed, you mm. know. So, and then that was, uh, and then I just started to become kind of rebellious because mm. what was happening on Australian radio was, 
was, was, was just junk <laughs> as far as I was concerned. I mean, I was, I was listening to it, I, mean, I was absorbing it. I knew all the songs that, that came out, but I was craving for more. And then I discovered <clears throat> back in those days they had like underground music. What was considered underground music was music that wasn't readily available and you only read about it in the magazines and yep. the odd occasion you might hear it on a, a, like a, another station or sometimes. Or, okay, now now it's, I just remembered something. Radio Horaki in oh, New yeah. Zealand. Yeah, yeah. That was my first exposure to soul, funk yep. and every other kind of music that came out. Because they were like a pirate, were they a pirate station or they were just a, a, a proper... I'm pretty sure they were just a proper... proper don't, yeah. don't quote me on it, but I'll, I'll, look, yeah. I'll look it up. It might have been in, in Sydney that I heard a couple of pirate stations yep. that played all this stuff. And I was going, man, it just hit me like mm. a ton of bricks. Mm. This is the kind of music I like, you know. Were you, play, were you playing along to that other stuff that was on the, yeah, on the local radio? Back, yeah, I played all the top 40 stuff. I, learnt, just, I just picked up on it and just I liked the sound of bass. I just went from guitar to bass. Oh, okay. And, yeah. um, At what age was that? Oh, about 15, 16. Yeah. Because back then we were, there was a whole bunch of us that all played guitar. All played guitar, yeah. And no one wanted to play bass. Yeah, right. And it got to a stage where we formed, there was the odd occasions of forming bands that didn't last long, but I always drew the short straw and it was like, oh, you're going to play bass, you know. So I thought, okay, that's cool. And then all of a sudden my ears picked up on bass and mm. when I heard Tamla Motown for the first time and where the bass was going, for me, it was like, whoa, this is some scary shit right here. You know, just like rhythmic things yeah, well, and just notes that I've never heard before, yeah. you know, phantom notes and yep. what's he doing? And, Jameson, man. There you go. <laughs> it was, wasn't long after that I just then I discovered who that character was yep, on yep. the bass, you know. Yep. And there was more soul music that came along and I always thought it was Jamison all the time, but no, it was all these other different cats from different record labels. Yep, yep. So you, you had the Motown label with yep. Jamison always there, yep. plus other players as, yep. the, as the years went on. And then you went to Atlantic label and there was another bass player that was there. And then you went to the Philly label and yep. there's all these other players. Stacks. Stacks, yeah, Stacks. Yeah, exactly. Donald Duck Dunn and those. Exactly. Yep, yep, yep. And that just opened my mind up. Yep. Just like, well, this is fantastic yeah and um it just went from there strength to strength and then james brown came along and that was like what the hell my life was good i I just felt so um it it was like i got hit you know like by something it was like a light that yeah Yeah. son (laughs) this is the real music out there this is for you you know yeah so i just um um, back in those days, we had transistor radios. Yeah. You know, uh, we left behind in Fiji a nice big gramophone. I think it was a HMV or something. Where it was the tones were so beautiful. You had bass and yeah. stuff like that. Analog tuning, you know, tuning yeah. to Radio Haraki and just trying to get the best sound. Yeah. But when you came to Australia, you you had new technology, which is oh, you can get a transistor radio now with good tones and sound. And I used to go to bed every night just listening to some program and just have it right up against my ear. Yeah. And yeah. just listening to just the bass did and you, the whole song. Did you ever have the little speaker that used to plug into the little... Because my grandma had one. She had her little transistor radio and she had this speaker and it was like a oh, that little five-inch speaker. Oh, really? Like an extension? And it sat, sat underneath the pillow and you go to sleep oh. and it's, I didn't, I didn't like knocking you in that. the head yeah, when you're yeah. trying to go to sleep. It was awesome. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's like 
That was technology back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so growing up in, in Mossman, living at home, I mean, we, we couldn't afford to have our own bedrooms and all that. So mum had her own bedroom yep. with uh, my sister sleeping nearby and I shared a room with my dad, yep. you know, because he was just one of those hardworking carpenters. So whenever he went to bed, I had to go to bed too. I couldn't okay. feel like, you know, don't disturb the old man's sleep. Yeah, right. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. But on the odd occasions when he would be out late somewhere, I'd be laying in bed listening to the transistor radio and listening to all that stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, no, I keep saying unfortunately, I mean, I, I sucked up everything that was on the radio. And I think in some ways it was good because it opened up my ears. It just made me be aware of what music was out there. Mm. And it, it didn't, at the, when you're 18 or 17 or 15 to 18, there's no uh, prejudice in music as yep. far as I was concerned. I was yep. lapping it all up. Yep. It was great. And I was paying more attention to bass, like, wow, the bass player. Credence, when Credence came out with their Cosmos Factory, mm-hmm. I just lapped every track of that album. Uh, when Led Zeppelin came out, they had their one and two albums. Mm-hmm. I lapped that up. Yep. I just learned to play the bass on that, Deep Purple, mm-hmm. um, everything. And then I started to hear, see the difference in genres mm-hmm. and I thought uh, then it made me decide okay what do you really like you know what I mean I started to go off the, the rock kind of underground rock bands and just sort of um, <clears throat> just my direction was more to the soul R&B yep. funk. and then jazz came along too and that were, that kind of like okay yeah this is I actually in the early days I used to think of jazz as smart music yep you know, it was like, what are these guys playing? What are you know, what are all these chords and stuff like that? Yeah, it took me about another few years to realize what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, my brother taught me a few things about that, mm-hmm. all these different chords, which was nice. But uh, there was so much shit going on in, in the late seventies yep. or mid seventies, yep. right through that. It was great. Mm-hmm. There was a big choice of music. You know, you choose what you want, whatever hit, whatever, you know, tickles your fancy, and that's it. It's happening right there and yeah. then in some part of the world, yep. you know. So, you know, it was a very good time mm-hmm. in music. Mm. And what about, what about bands? When did, when did you start playing in bands? I was... Cause, oh, sorry, because that time you were lapping up that music... Yeah. You sitting at home? I was sitting at home. I was going to Go. uh, friends' places on the weekends oh, yeah. when I was about 17, yep. 16. I bought a... Um, my first electric guitar I bought was a, a red Fender Strat. Yep. It was a copy, mm-hmm. but it was exactly the... I, I thought that might have been the one that Hank Marvin Hank was Marvin playing. Hank Marvin is the shadows, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I couldn't even afford a, a case. I yep. used to just, when I catch the bus to go up to my friend's place at, at Chatswood, I'd just put in a big plastic thing, just wrap it up. <laughs> to even feel embarrassed about it, sitting oh, in the really? bus with yeah. like, just like, everyone's looking. Because if you can imagine back in those days, you know, no one really saw a guitar every day of their lives, yeah, yeah. let alone one wrapped in plastic. You know, <laughs> like, you know? But then you get to your friend's place and you're just happy to unwrap it and plug it in an amp and just yep. try all that stuff. And yeah. Went through the shadows thing too as yeah, well, by yeah, the way, yeah. yeah, which everyone did. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like 15, 16. When two years before I finished high school, I was I actually started playing in, in bands, island bands. And um, yeah. island dances were a big thing in Sydney mm-hmm. because it was the only, <clears throat> the only community where all the islanders 
even Kiwis, you know, yeah. the Maoris and everyone, they just knew of an island dance in Ultimo mm-hmm. in Sydney. So they all went down to that hall. And my cousin was in the band there, and he, I, mean, I used to jam with him on the weekends, but he knew that I was still at school, but and he really, he was, they were desperate to get a bass player. And mm. So he had to come and ask my mum, you know, mum's permission if I could uh, go over there. And she said, oh, I don't know about that, you know. You, you look, you keep an eye on him all night, you know, he's not allowed to drink drink and all that sort of stuff so that's basically when I started playing in island bands mm-hmm. um, call it semi-professional if you wanted to but you know we got paid nothing perhaps yeah. I can't recall now yeah but they were good fun days because <clears throat> we're in the band playing and all just all these nationalities come walking through the it's just a hall yeah uh, where they charge two dollars at the door yeah the food that was on was just a big pot of curry yep. and rice. Mm-hmm. So there was another $2 there. I think from memory we only got about $5 each. Mm-hmm. Big money for me in those days. Yep. When they came in it was just tables and chairs, trestles and all this. And you just play and play until people get drunk and pissed and then before you know it, big fight. Oh, them, yeah. you know? But it was great for me. It was an experience. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, to watch it that they don't the odd bottle doesn't come flying <laughs> on the stage. You know? It was like grab your guitar and But back in the day, we never owned the instruments. This one guy that was running the dance halls, Olga Johansson, he was an ex-boxer from Fiji. He owned all the instruments. So the very first bass I was playing back then was a Rickenbacker, and I didn't yeah, know how right. valuable it was when right. I was playing a Rickenbacker bass. Weighed a ton. Yeah. You know, as you can imagine, an 18-year-old, 7-year-old kid, you know, holding this bass. Like, man, this bass is heavy, man. Yeah. yeah. And they owned the amps and the drum kit and the yeah. whole thing. So it was yeah. good, yeah. That went for a few years. Yeah. And then when I left school at uh, 18, um, someone had heard of me and asked me if I wanted to go and play in the pub band. And then they just started from there. Yep. And I just knew just about, knew all the material that they wanted to play, it didn't matter if it was a rock band or anything, I just knew the stuff yeah. and played in there. Like, oh man, you're pretty good, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever learn to read? Um, no, no, never back then. No, it's all, it's all air. It was all air. Do you, do you read now? I read now. Oh, you read now, yeah. 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 But back in the day, I uh, I didn't think it was important. Yep. My ears were my... Uh, yep, yep. was my <clears throat> big, you know, indicators, you know, as, as such, you know. Yeah. And that man, that went on for a couple of decades right. until I was playing professionally, so to speak. Yep. Yeah, I, I just threw myself in the deep end. You know, people assumed that I read, I didn't read. Yeah. I'd go into studios and be found out. Pretend, oh, really? Yeah. No, but, uh, not found in, in a shocking way. It was like I just used to think. Come on, ears, don't fail me now. Yeah. Because you know? when you're in a studio situation, they throw a chart in front of you. I, I could read chord charts. Yeah. Because that's something that I taught myself. But uh, <clears throat> you know, all I all I all I wanted, or all, all I depended on, was just the first run through. Right. And that's how much pressure I was under. Yeah. You just give me the first run through, and I will remember everything. So when we do it again, it'll be my ears, my memory. And the last thing is my chart as, as a roadmap. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's cool. And that kind of strengthened my, my ears. Mm. Um, but then I thought, you know, this can't keep going on for a while. I need to go and learn stuff. So I just taught myself to read. Didn't mm. go to any institution. Yep. 
nothing, no conservatorium. Back then it was only the con, uh, yep. you know, nothing else. Mm-hmm. And that used to put a lot of people off because they thought everyone thought the conservatorium was like just the big jazz police yeah. academy, you know. Yep. Anything else outside of jazz was not legit. Right. Is that just what people thought, or was that how it was? That was kind of like the attitude. The attitude around, towards it. Okay, yeah, right. You know, not from the people in there. I don't know. I mean, okay. there's a bit of a culture that's you know, when when you mention mention conservatorium today of, of music, you know, yep. people go, Ooh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like Are you serious, <laughs> or <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know of a lot of great players that just went to the con just to learn what enough of what they needed to know, and then they just got out. They just didn't yep. have to finish the, the the course and get a yep. degree, you know. Yep. So, but man, I went through life just doing that, self-taught, uh, asked a lot of questions, yep. uh, just being on stage with people who were far superior than me in, with other instruments, but. That was my learning tool, just yeah. being around them and see what they did, see how they wrote, and ask them questions. Why are you playing? Why is that chord over another chord, a slash chord, or something like that? You know. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it just uh, it all kind of made sense. It took a long time, but I didn't do enough. Uh, I did a lot of recording sessions and all that, but I ended up writing my own charts. I, when I found out about the Nashville system, number system, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, far out, man, this is what, this is where I've come from. Yeah. You know, as far as like coming from the islands, they yeah. use numbers. Numbers, yeah. You know, when you, in today's terms, when you play a chord, it's like, oh, well, it's only a three chord song, mm. which people refer to as the one, the four and the five. Mm. But in, uh, and when you go to a shower, up to uh, like a tone, you know, like in front, they, in Fiji we call it a sharp. Right. It was bizarre. Mm. You know, it wasn't even that at all. Mm-hmm. And first, second, and third was one, four, and five. Right. That was our terminology, and I think they use that in the islands. Right. You know, if you're playing a three-chord song and you go to the fourth chord, we call it the second. Right. Because it's a three-chord song. You know? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And I came from that school, and then when I met players here from Nashville, and they were just going, oh, yeah. Because it all made sense. It was quick. If you're a studio musician and you're doing a lot of sessions, uh, instead of writing out the chords and all that, you just write out numbers as such. And the numbers will always be the same when the artist comes in and says, I've decided to change the key. I'm going up a tone. The yep. number's still the same. same yeah, 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 you just go up a tone and just play the numbers. Yeah. And that was like, whoa, this is so good. But and I thought in the end... This is not the one all to end all. You still have to be living and working in a professional environment where, you know, you know an arranger or conductor will come up and says, okay, here's the bass chart. This is what you play. And you just have to play. Yeah. So after many, many years and being encouraged by a lot of other good players out there, you know, they just showed me the ropes and said, man, just go out. There's some good books out there. Uh, unfortunately, back in the day, we didn't have the technology like we do today with YouTube. Yep. You know, as such, you can do anything you want on you from or just, YouTube. Or just apps. You or can apps. Just buy an app that's got every chord and every. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I for two dollars. You know, it's always for me. It's like, damn, man, where yeah. were you when I was a yeah. teenager? You yeah. know. Yeah. But in some ways, it kind of. I think, come, um, growing up in that period, it was. 
kind of it made us stronger musicians because all we had was a little record player with a yep. needle and you're just lifting the yep. needle and putting back on there lifting it up putting back there yep. and we're interpreting what we think they're playing yep. and you do that for almost the rest of your life until someone comes along and plays the same song then you watch them play and you go far out how do you do that <laughs> so they had another technique of yeah. doing it so yep. and but that was a long journey to get there just to find out how you did in today's world YouTube it and, yep. and you know you can, might get five different bass players or keyboard players or any other instrument players for that matter who will show you their own different fingering styles and you go wow man it's it's great it just, it, yeah exactly it yep. just, just makes your life more um, satisfying and, and fascinating it's like wow okay that's yep. how you do it yeah but you don't necessarily have to change to their ways if you're yep. so comfortable with the way you've played it Leave it alone. Yeah, you know. I think you'd appreciate that more now because you came up through doing it the old way. Whereas I think exactly, I think it's gets taken for granted. The people that <clears throat> that don't know how to listen to it, or you know, for me it was having a tape tape deck, not so much the record, but yeah, sure, hitting play and then and then rewinding, writing down yeah. and rewinding it. You know, yeah, yeah. That's how I used to sort of do it and. Seeing all that YouTube stuff now, even even to me, is unreal. It's great. It's too much information. Too much information. Too much information. I think it might have a little bit of a, a detrimental effect, especially for young players, sure. because Absolutely. you know we live in a day to day in the times of today where everything is we want now, yep. like this. Yep. Which is great, and yep. you'll get it. There's always instant communication with whatever you want to get involved in. Or, yep. But the only thing is, you, you haven't had that period to absorb it. Yep. You know, so you can you can have a really bright kid that will just go and learn all this stuff, which is fantastic, and will show it to you. But there is no substance behind it. Yep. They haven't actually done the journey. Yep. And that could, I noticed that with um, some of the students that I teach okay. today, you know. Yeah. I, I call them like, well, back in my day, we called ourselves gunslingers, you know. We were the fastest guns in town, you know. We can do any <laughs> kind of shit. Yeah. Well, that same terminology I can use today for some of my young students. Brilliant. You know, they've got facility, technique, yeah. the whole thing. But when you get them to play a song, they can't settle down, you know. It's like a, you know can of beans man just like <laughs> roaring to just bust down it's like no 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 man yep. just enjoy this one song yep. you know you've got all that ammo in you don't waste your bullets just hold it yeah. <laughs> just hold it just show me what you got just out of all this take away all that stuff you learned of YouTube just show me your soul let's just see what you got in there one little inkling of your soul and I just want to see it if I can feel it or sense it mm. And if, I mean, I would know, you know, I could sense if there's fake in there or yep. fakeness or yep. there's the real thing, you know. Yeah. Just, just little things like that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, well, I didn't mention before because I do teach yep. now. Mm -hmm. I used to teach at, uh, I went to AIM back in 2012. Mm -hmm. I got, um, I got in, asked if I wanted to come in and do a, course you know and I said to the head of the contemporary department and then I says 
why would I want to do it? He says, oh, just, you know, just for your own good if you want to. Mind you, I had just come out of the doldrums because I had a, my marriage had just finished prior to that. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to just snap out of it and just get on and work my, my brain, you know, yep. make it more active. And I did, and I ended up getting a master's degree. I did a oh, master's in, um, in composition and production. And it did make me a better... Person, mm-hmm. not so much a, a you know. I came out with all this, tech, uh, you know, technical sort of facilities and all that. It just made me a better person musically, uh, but it did teach me a lot of uh, <clears throat> academic. Uh, it gave me knowledge, you know, yep. with stuff like that, and uh, I just it just made me more aware about music as such. Mm-hmm. And uh, I left it at that. I graduated. I was about to walk away, and, and, and the head said, "No, why don't you come in and teach now? You know, <laughs> with all your experience and blah blah blah." And I went, "Well, not really. I had other plans. I wanted to go to the UK yeah. and do my thing." And so anyway, they made me an offer, and it was pretty good. So I thought, "Okay, I'll stick around for a couple of years." Yeah, cool. Which I had done up until last year, and then I just sort of decided to be a little bit more freer. Okay. So I'm, I'm scattered now. I just sort of do the odd day at uh, another college up the road, AMPA, yep. and uh, also a high school, a grammar, Australian Performing Arts Grammar School in Great. Sydney. Yep. And that's fine. That's heaps, you know. Yep. I love imparting my knowledge and experience to kids. Only kids that really want to learn, you know. If you've got time wasters in there, that's fine. You just, you just, as long as you make sure they don't slow down the rest of the class, you know. Yeah, right. But are oh, you teaching a class, not one on one? No, no, okay, not one on one. I love ensembles, man. I yeah, love teaching yeah. bands. You know, you yeah. give them a couple of hits, or you give them something. It's always got to be a, a good collective. You can't go in there and be the tyrant. All right, we're going to learn this. We're going to learn yeah. that. Yeah. Because some of them may hate it. You yeah. know. So what you do? You have a little round meeting, and you go, okay, pick all your your top three songs, put on the board until narrow it down until you get a majority of what the kids like right we're going to do start learning that but the other the beauty about this this job is that I actually can play the bass and the guitar and the keys and the drums just to inspire them yep. you know and they go wow this guy's the real deal yeah, you know they're not going to muck around on you yep. you know because uh, I mean I don't go in there with the whiplash and whoosh, yeah. you know it's <laughs> like it's no fun for them Yeah. but when you show them how it's done you know with a little bit of style or funk you know it's like oh man you know how do you do that again (laughs) but you just leave it to them and then you and then you compliment them and that's how you make them want to partake in in shit you know yeah Yeah. that's all it is you know that part of teaching I like you know where where they all get involved as such so yeah and then outside of that it's just gigging yes lots of gigs touring uh, mixed bag of stuff yeah I love it. Um, I was composing at one stage. Mm-hmm. I was doing some producing. Uh, yeah. Do you remember Paulini, mm-hmm. the singer? Yep. When she first came out in 2003, I, I wrote a song for, um, I composed a song for um, the South Pacific Games. Mm-hmm. So they used that theme song and I got Paulini to sing on it. And that's kind of like how she was really discovered. So she went from that straight into Australian Idol. Oh, right, okay. And, yep. and, and then her journey began. Yep. So... Mm. And I've produced other people as well in the past and mm. written music for all kinds of media yep. stuff. You know. Yep. Let's go back into some of the some of the people you've played with over the years. So who would have been 
Well, let's name off name off a few. So, Renee Gaya. Renee. Yeah. Yep. Marsha Hines. Yes. Jenny Morris. Jenny Morris. Yep. Yeah. Tina Arena. Tina Arena. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. James Morrison. Yep. Um, I've recorded with them and we're all toured with them. Yep. You know. Yep. That so, was pretty good. That was back in the days when, you know, people, artists were using musicians, musicians. as such, and it was just like a, a live human input, yep. you know, rather than programming and stuff. And yep. all that. that was most enjoyable yep. back then. Um, Margaret Ehrlich. Margaret Ehrlich, yeah. Uh, Debbie Byrne, Debbie Byrne, she was coming out of Young Talent Time. Yep. yep. But this particular album I did with her, I played with uh, Roger Taylor, the drummer from Queen. Queen, yeah. When they were in town, he came over to 301. What was he like? What was he like? What was that like? Very professional. Just like a normal dude, or did he have that? No, he didn't have the big sort of I am. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, no, no, it was none of that. Wow, that's cool. He just came in and we just all talked and we talked about the the briefing for the song. Yeah. We just did it, you know, mm. and uh, yeah, nice dude. Uh, played with uh, who's that guy from Wang Tu Clan? The, uh, he's a rapper, rap artist. He came in, he just another great producer, too. He says, Man, just do your thing. So I just yeah. started doing the bass line, then he just did a rap thing over that, and yep, that was great. That was um, that was a Russell Crowe kind of. Right. Sponsorship because okay. they were good mates, you know, sure. sort of American all that sort of stuff. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, we recorded for Russell as well. Yep. Up at his studio. Mm-hmm. Um, James Morrison, I p- played on his album, The Postcards from Down Under. He kind of wrote music for uh, this artist, Ken Doan. Mm-hmm. Ken Doan's pretty yep. famous for writing, you know, doing all those paintings. Paintings, for the yeah. yeah. Yep. City Harbour and all the beaches and all that. Yep. Did that Tommy Manuel's album. Uh, was that there up, to be different? Up from down under. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Yep. Dare to be different. Yeah, I, I don't know if I played on that too as well. I can't. I was having a look a, look on the like a discography of you today. Oh okay. And it's got that one on there. But then I oh, went okay. into it and I couldn't see any, so, any yeah. detail. But yeah, yeah, I remember I'm, I got that album not long after I first moved to Australia. Fucking blew oh, okay. me away. Yeah. Oh. Who's He's this good. guy? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember yeah. seeing him because we used to watch. We used to have Hey Hey it's Saturday on. Oh, used to yeah, come yeah. on TV in New Zealand. Okay. And then just Tommy Manuel was on there quite often, you know. He's a, I just I still think today's the like the the best best guitar. One of the best. Yeah. On, on acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing. You know. Yeah. We only just ran into each other a few months ago, actually, when he arrived back, and there was sadly it was just after his brother, his brother. passed. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, no, him, he's doing really well. Yep. He, uh, another top bloke. Jenny mm. um, Morris, yeah, I toured with Jenny yep. for a few years. Mm-hmm. That was good. Uh, and then sort of moving further along, did some stuff with Marsha, with Renee. Uh, interesting playing with Renee. Mm-hmm. Everyone's had an interesting uh, story to <clears throat> tell. Do you want, when do you want to tell a story? I don't know. You yeah, don't, you yeah. don't have to. <laughs> okay, I'll wait. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you off the record. Oh, yeah, well, good, yeah, sweet as. Yeah. Um, no, um, yeah, just, um, I guess if you just throw a name, I probably would say, yeah, yeah, I've played with them. I've yeah, yeah. with them as yep. such. Yeah, And then with, from, with people from overseas, um, played with Elvin Bishop 
from Paul Butterfield, blues band, you know, Fool Around Fell in Love. Mm-hmm. Did a tour with him with him and he came out here, real mountain guy he is, man, just wears right. overalls and he just like, Hey Victor, how you doing? And he'll put a big you know, arm wrestle and just you know get you a little headlock, like, headlock yeah. and rub your head like shit man. Um yeah, some strange dudes there was a lady that came out many, many moons ago. Her name was Ellen McElwain, a rock guitarist, and, and her claim to fame was she was the first chick guitarist to play with Jimi Hendrix. Right. And she came out, and she had one of those things that was like the new new thing. It was like a bow, and it was just like a, a, a big... It looked like a big rock, but you put it on your guitar strings, and it just gave all these weird sounds. Right. Uh, I don't know whether it had a battery thing or something you had to wire it, but anyway, she was she was doing that, which kind of like all the guitar players in Sydney were like, shit, what's that, man? She's getting <laughs> this weird sound out of that, you know. But uh, yeah, I did something with her, which was interesting. Um, Rick Astley, when he came out over the years. Yep. Yeah, it was great working with him. Yeah, Fab talked about Rick. Yep. Okay. And that was with Paul Gray, wasn't it? That was with Paul Gray. Yeah. 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 Um, did he talk about that particular rhythm section? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. that's we the rhythm section you. that we're still together. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys do the rock the boat. We do stuff. the rock the boat yeah, cruises yeah. Yeah, and, and whatever it. other stuff comes along. Yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah, that's a pretty mm. unique unit that uh, band because we're like four piece as we were. Yeah. We were still economical. Yeah, like three of us sang, sang harmonies, right. really good harmonies. Right, and that's the thing that grabbed Rick. He said, "Man, you guys, you guys." He didn't really want to sort of like <clears throat> praise us too much because I knew, I know that when he went back to England, he would just rave about us to his band, you know. And I think they sort of got the shits with that. <laughs> but I kind of went when I went over to the UK. I sort of you know bought the olive branch and to you know meet you, his yeah. band and all that. She said, "Oh man, this is oh this is Victor. He played bass for me, and you know." And I went along to their gigs. I mean, he was playing massive yeah. audiences as yeah. such. But yeah. uh, and I just I just went along and just you know made peace with them and said, "Hey man, you guys are great," and all this sort of thing. And then after a few beers, you know, then the bass player or the drummer just said. Oh, Rick could just never stop talking about you guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rick had a bigger band over there, you know, he had to get BVs and right. you know, horn players and shit like that. Right. Whereas we were just like the basic yep. four-piece. You know? yeah, well, actually five-piece because we had another keyboard player with us, a um, right. guy from Melbourne. Um, he's, he's pretty good too. Mm. The name just escapes me. Yeah, uh, Nick Pringati, mm-hmm. that's it. Um, and yeah, so and then Lulu's come out. You remember Lulu mm-hmm. from? Sure do. Yeah, yeah. Did a tour with her and with um, Leo Sayer. Yep, that was pretty good. Um, What's yeah. the monkeys? Oh, the monkeys. What man, is that? That's going back. Yeah, man. Yeah. The I monkeys. A, I was a monkey for you about were... four weeks. Oh, were you? <laughs> yeah. Three of them came over. Oh, Except right. Mike next Mike Mike Nesbitt, Yeah. yeah. They came over and did a national tour. So, yeah, I jumped on board with that. Yep. Peter Northwood was on guitar. Yep. Uh, Jamie McKinley on drums. We had, oh, it escapes me at this, yeah, can't recall. Too many drummers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not enough time. Bloody drummers. <laughs> uh, oh, it might have been Mitch Farmer or yep. Doug Gallagher. Or so. oh, no, mm-hmm. can't recall. But that was good fun. Yep. Yeah, no, that was good. Mm. 
What else have we got? <laughs> David Garibaldi. Oh, man. man. He's one of my favourite drummers, <clears throat> that guy. Root serious. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gordon Rittmeister put me on to... Gordon, I, yeah. I went to a, a lesson with, with Gordo, and I was a little bit little bit stuck on ideas. I'd been playing a lot, and I got really stale, and, you know, early YouTube, so it wasn't mm. a lot of that stuff, and I, I didn't know to look there so much. And um, Gordo put me onto Future Sounds, which is... A, like okay. Garibaldi's books. Okay. Yeah, a lot of linear type playing. And, Which is. And then I started fun. getting into Tower Power and. Okay. Oh, wow. What? Fuck. How do you feel when you discovered that? Unbelievable. What is how, this? Rocker. Yeah. Just tight, man. Yeah. Just tight. A lot of notes, but tight. And, just, yeah, just. And the horns and the. Yeah, just. Well, you know, it's kind of like they came out of that. The Bay Area sound. Yeah, that's that's that 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 Yeah, the Oakland. Yeah. Oakland, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, David Garibaldi. Well, the story behind that, I, I went over to New York in uh, 2009. And uh, so what you do when you go to New York, you go to all the different clubs and you sit in, you hang out, you sit in. Yep. And the Bitter End is the one club that I went to. The Bitter End is famous because that's where the Donny Hathaway live album was recorded. Oh, is that right? What's oh, going wow. on? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Got, same stage, nothing's changed, you know. So yeah. I went in there and I met the guy. Willie Weeks, man. Willie Weeks, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Well, the house band for this, for the Monday Night Jam, is uh, the ex touring sax player out of uh, Billy Joel's band. Right. Who's also featured in one of those documentaries about that, you know. I don't know whether it was. It was called the. Um, is it the young. The, what are the, yeah, the hide, hide guns or whatever? Hide guns, yeah. yeah. Something like the. Not yeah. a couple of years ago. That's right, the yeah, doctor that time. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So anyway, met up with them. And um, so uh, Larry Braggs was the singer of Tower of Power at that stage, you know. He'd been with the band for like 10 years. Yeah. And he was in town. He said, hey, man, you know. Oh, oh no, that's right. I was speaking to the guys in the band, and Neville Legrino was the, the Aussie guy over there bass player he said Vic why don't you get up and jam this is uh, Larry Braggs hey brother how you doing let's do it yeah let's come on let's do it you know what is hip I said fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we did that and we did um, that was great because the, the house band had horns they had three piece horns so if you're a horn player in New York or anywhere in America you must know Tower of Power. Yep. Doesn't matter what. Even if it's the top five hit songs, yep. you have to. So they played it like precision, man. So I just thought, shit, man. Here, here I am. So that was pretty cool. And then he said, hey, man, people like this. He said, okay, let's do another song. And it's like, oh, shit. Which one's this going to be now? And said, oh, let's do, um, let's stay together, Al Green. Oh, yeah. Shit, yeah, let's do that. So two songs in, and it's like we all get off in there. And everyone's complimenting each other. And hey, you're a great brother. Hey, where are you from? And, you know, I said, I'm from Sydney, Sydney, Australia. Oh, okay. So you're living here in New York? No, I'm just here on holidays, mate. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? You know, it's like, you don't want to... I said, oh, man, I'd love to, but i got to go back home, you know. He says, well, hook me up with some gigs, man. I'd love to come to Sydney. And I thought, oh, well, that's great. I mean, I thought that's your typical American gesture, being nice, you know. Right. Yeah, you know. Right. He says, here's my card, man. So, you know, you know emails we'll email each other and say yeah that's nice bro that's good you know so I just thought nothing of it because you meet a lot of American musicians in passing and it's all the same thing you know exchange cards and like yeah man right. you know right. get back to Australia <clears throat> three weeks into it he's like 
hey, Vic, it's Larry Braggs here, man. You know, it's like... <laughs> Haven't yeah, heard from you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's going on, man? <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, okay, well, that's nice. So I sort of replied to him and I said, yeah. He said, yeah, man, I've got this album coming out. It's, uh, it's called The Cookbook. And it's all covers songs of um, Sam Cooke. And I got David Garibaldi playing on it, you know. And uh, so David and I, man, we'd love to come over, you know, come down, you know. You think you can line up something for me? And I thought, man, this guy's serious, you know. So I thought, okay, how, like, what's your schedule? And he said, man, we're busy as those guys tour every day. They've been doing it for the last 40, well, that was back then. So it's like 45 years now. Yep. For like over 200 days a year. They just tour, yep. constantly tour. Yep. You know? And David's been with him for a long, long time, mm-hmm. all that time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, I thought, well, how about your schedule? And he said, oh, I'm, I'll, I'll let you know, I'll let you know. So in the meantime, I ring up Chris Richards from the basement, the old basement, and I said, Chris, <clears throat> Tower of Power, I've met up at the cast, they want to come over. He goes, how many nights do you want? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I go, shit. I said, I don't know, just, you know, stand by. I'll, I'll, I'll find out more information. And anyway, Larry gets back to me and says, we've only got this small window of opportunity. We're going to uh, Bangkok in such and such a time in April or whatever. So we've only got about a week. Do you think you can do something in there? I said, I'll try, you know. So I started with Chris. He said, yeah, I'll give you Thursday. I'll give you Sunday night at the basement. So really, they can effectively do one week, which is really the weekend. And they've got to piss off up to Southeast Asia. Yep. So um, I went, oh, okay well what do I do on a Friday and I'm going to have to get a gig on a Sunday because he's giving me the basement Thursday and a Saturday so I need to fill in Friday and a Sunday and I'm how much am I going to pay these guys man I mean just they're, yeah. you yeah. know they're like the elite <laughs> you know they probably want a few grand each of, yeah. you know five like grand. Yeah. so anyway to and fro to and fro this is going on for weeks come months uh, before you know it I'm asking everybody in industry to help me out Everybody bent over backwards to help me out. I, I ended up, I couldn't find a promoter. I, I, I asked uh, Peter Noble, who runs the Blues Fest in Byron Bay, he says, mate, we're chockers. Same with Michael Chubb, you know. Mm. If you would have told us this early, we could have put them on the bill yep. and then come to Sydney and yep. all that, and we would have done it with your band, you know. Yep. And I went, shit. And I said to Chris, I can't find a promoter. And Chris, Chris says, you do it. He said, what? He said, no, you do it. You do it. I'll help you. I'll just talk you through it, walk you through the whole thing. It's mm. quite easy. I said, I can't do it on my own. I need I need capital, startup capital, you know. Find, you know, speak around, talk to somebody. I ended up getting uh, the other partner that used to be at the basement, Bruce Files. Mm-hmm. He got involved. He threw in five grand. And the tour manager, because I was touring with Marsha Hines then, and I was asking him, because he used to be a general manager for the entertainment center before it got pulled down. Right. 10 years experience behind him. And I said, because I kept asking all these industry questions, so where do you go to, to get this and all? Where do you get tickets from and how? Yeah. And he's going, what are you up to, Victor? And I was like, something funny going on here. Oh, you hadn't told him then? You hadn't told him at that stage? What was no, it? I was just yeah. asking him general yeah, yeah, questions, yeah. industry yep. questions. And he said... Um, What's this all about? And I said, well, I, and I explained the story. Yeah. And he said, who? Who are they? Where are they from? I said, Tower of Power. Okay, hang on a second. I've just got to make one phone call. So he rings up the current manager of entertainment at the end. And he says, oh, go to game, man. You know, it's Arthur here. No, don't, don't say anything, but 
what do you think of first when I say the words Tower of Power? And he goes, oh, are they coming here, are they? <laughs> and he says, right, that's all I need to know. He came to me and he came to me and he says, right, how much money do you want? So you want, he threw money in and then I threw a little bit of my money in. We had working capital yep. and then we just got the ball rolling. We just got free sponsorship from Yamaha. Well, David's already at Yamaha, Yamaha Dorsey. Well, yeah. So um, <clears throat> John Corniola, oh, Frank, yeah. Frank Corniola. Yeah down in Melbourne. He wanted dates. He said, bring him down for three days. Adelaide wanted us. The word got out to Perth. They wanted us as well. I said, mate, we've only got seven days, really, of which four is in Sydney. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we could have made a killing, you know. Yeah. So anyway, brand new pasty symbols that came over from Canada. Uh, free drum kit came from uh, show travel, bent over backwards. They gave us discounts and in, on everything from hire cars to all. The CEO of Merivac, who owned uh, Pier 2, the, the hotel down there, yep. gave us like statesman rooms for the price was the price of a standard room. Yeah. Just uh, they, were, they were great because they knew a promoter wasn't doing it. It was just a local musician yeah. who was doing it. So yeah. the industry actually stepped in. So and there was no out. sneaky back pocket shit. Nothing. It was, like, yeah, it was yeah. all above board. Awesome. And they just knew it was just this yeah. you know, lonely bass player. <laughs> I, I went to the immigration so many times. I had to get a letter of uh, accreditation from yep. the musicians union. Yep. cost me money for this letterhead, blah, 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 backwards yep. and forwards. Yep. In the end, it worked. It bloody worked. And then the immigration department gave me the stamp saying, Okay, you are now accredited promoter to bring anyone in for the next three years. <laughs> Great. So it's valid for three years, not just for this time when these guys are there. Yeah. And then I got the ball rolling, and then, then I had to ask the big question. So, mate, uh, how, how much do you guys want for a gig? And, you know, it's just, oh, whatever you think, you know. It's like, we don't mind, you know, maybe a uh, $1,000, you know. I'd say, oh, each? Yeah, yeah, is that okay with you? I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> I thought they were going to ask for like five grand, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I thought I had the money already in the working capital there, so that's their fee taken care of. Yeah. And then it was just a matter of getting the, the, the flights over. So what we did is, don't worry about getting us business class, you just get the cheap flights. We've got a million points. points yeah, yeah. We'll just upgrade ourselves. So even they went bent over backwards for me. It was like a dream run, That's you know. Right. Yeah, it's so cool. And, and then I said to the other two promoters, I said, "Mate, you give yourself a wage in this, just in case we lose our shirt." So they gave themselves a wage, and as it turns out, the gigs were all, you know, we did two nights at the basement, one up at Lazotte in Newcastle, and, yeah. and I asked the guys, Larry and David, I said, "You guys want to work in a pub?" So said, what's that? You know, a pub. Normal, you get your pub gig on a Sunday night. So we did the Bridge Hotel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Packed the place out. Wow. Because uh, it was like Musos night, you know. Yeah, yeah, Everyone's yeah. working yeah. on the weekends. Yeah. And it was great. It was good. And then we, you know, all got our money back. We got, we just broke even because the, the wages paid our money. And yeah. we broke even. So we had lockout for two days rehearsals at, at, at the Bridge Hotel. Richard, the owner, gave us that for nothing. He supplied food, catering and all. We were just rehearsals all day. The Aussie guys were like the horn section. They were packing up at 3 o'clock and, and Larry and Dave said, what are you guys doing? Oh, we've got to go. We're going to pick up the gears. No, man, we rehearsed this shit right until we, we got it. <laughs> and they were like, oh, oof, oh yeah, okay. Uh, uh, some guys were doing the stage show that night. So, oh, I've got to leave early. And I said, yeah, okay, but you're back here tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock. Yeah. You know? Sure enough, man, 11 o'clock, they were waiting outside the pub. Yeah. And they just and that's how they do it in America. Yeah. That's why they sound so good. Yeah. We only had two days. Yeah. But uh, the, the horn players 
had it down the rim section. We had it down. David was such a gentleman. Right. He'd every, every, after every 20 minutes of playing, he'd sort of stop and get up. He says, Victor, just let me know if this isn't sitting or settling, you know. You, you just, you know, speak up, man, you know. I said, bro, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But such gentlemen to work with. Yeah. The real deal. The yeah. real deal musicians. Yeah, know? yeah. And I thought, you know, that's the kind of people, there are good people like that out yeah. there, you know. It yeah. doesn't matter how much of a long record they have or, you know, mm. accreditation, you know, at the end of the day, they're just like us. Just you know? people, just you know, play. Just, yeah. I mean, they've only done more, a million miles more than we have. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that was the David Garibaldi story. Wow, right? that's a cool story. Yeah, that's, that's and then we kept in touch, and then it was so sad a couple of years ago when they had when he had that accident. Yeah, he did get hit by a train. Or he got hit by a train. Yeah, but he's okay now, isn't he? It was a long road to recovery, but he's okay. Yeah, the bass I... player was pretty worse off right. than him. He had to be his face had to be reconstructed and stuff. But they basically, when they got hit, witnesses said they it looked like a couple of rag dolls because you know trains get. And that was five minutes before they were supposed to go on stage. Because right. the hotel was just across the road, across the tracks. Did they try and run the track, run over the tracks? They, yeah, five minutes before that, you know. And unfortunately, they waited. They missed it. So the train was coming. So they, oh, we'll just wait. And just as it got to the last carriage, they thought, okay, they'll run across. But they didn't see the train coming the other way. Oh, and that was it. But those trains go through town on a slower speed. Okay. You know, because it's the main drag, you know. Right. So you've got the Amtrak just going straight through it. But they got hit. Yeah. And poor old David, there was a big world fundraiser. Yeah, there was, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. did you contribute? I took the, the, part of the crowdfunding, I did, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I did too. That was yeah. good. He was very appreciative. Yeah. He had no insurance, man, nothing. I mean, in America, that's what it is. Yeah. If you either can afford insurance or you can't, mm. you know. Just makes you think maybe... They don't make that much money with all those shows that they do, you know? No, that's yeah. right. That's why you've got to keep going, just keep working. Just keep working, yeah, yeah. that's it. So, yeah. how's our time? Is it? <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, we're, oh. we're on an hour, so that's that's oh, really good. Okay. So, what, who else do you want to talk about? Who I don't know. Uh, what else can we You can talk about the footy. Fiji. <laughs> just oh, throw, Fiji beat France, yeah. yeah. I just thought I'd just throw that one <laughs> yeah. in. That was yeah. great. I saw the, I saw the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucky you're not Irish because Irish beat the bloody All Blacks. Well, the other week. Oh, yeah. number two on the yeah, absolutely. ranking. So it's, yep. it's, they're our boogie team, man. They, yeah. they're, they've beaten us three times in yeah. four years now, whatever. God. Good, I reckon. I reckon it's almost like a level playing field now. Yeah. <clears throat> You've got to have comp- the competition up there, eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, what have we got? All right, how about... Um, <clears throat> oh, one thing I'm be curious about, we don't have to talk about money figures here, but the money you were making back in the heyday compared yeah. to the money you're making now, what's... Okay. Don't You don't have to name figures, but I'm just no, no, curious no. as to... It's How sort of pay rates have gone in the last, say, 15 years? Okay. There's, uh, I hate to put it, but there's different tiers of... Tiers, yep, yep. yep okay. So yep. the lower tier, yep. money hasn't changed. No. Can you believe that? No, no, I know that. Yeah, yeah. hasn't changed at all. Yep. Next tier up, kind of okay, kind of okay. And, um, we're talking like 
your maybe your weddings or yep. your uh, corporate gigs. Corporate, yeah. Then the the tier after that is still like your corporate kind of gigs, mm-hmm. and, and the money's even a bit better. Yep. As such, then your top tier, which is playing for artists. So, yeah, well, me as a uh, session musician, session touring musician. Yep. <clears throat> the money's kind of okay. Yep. Yeah, depending on who the act is right. and how much they want to screw you for. Yeah, right. So, yeah. is it a case of um, they come to you and go, "Yeah, we can pay you that much," or do you, the, the, do you say, oh, "Well, this is my fee"? It works both ways. Some okay. of them will just say, "Hey, look, this is massive tour run. They here are all the names, and this is how much we're paying." So already they just know they know what they're spitting out to you. You know, take it or leave it. Okay. And sometimes I sort of look at it as a bit of a slap in the face. Yeah. Whereas the other one, the other, the other offering is like, oh look, this is so, you know, these people are touring, and we dearly love to have you on board, you know, mm. if the price is right, that kind of thing. And mm. then obviously you just name what your fee is, what you think you're worth, yeah. And they'll either take it or leave it, or they'll try and haggle, which is fine. But uh, it's always it's like that these days. It's all about haggling, and unfortunately, musicians cop it first yep, yep. more than anyone, you know. They can spend money on production, on, on this and that, all the, all, all the frills all the and everything. stuff, new lights and But come to musicians, it's like they're still trying to haggle you out of 50 bucks or 10 bucks or 100 bucks or, or cut, you, cut you back on, on, on per diems or, you know, accommodation. It's like I like doing the top tier kind of gigs because you don't have to ask for anything, you know. You just basically... As a session musician, as I said before, you get your own room, you, uh, you know, you, you catered for, per diems, yep. you name it, you know, yep. production supply. Yep. That's, that's the other thing too. And these days, as like, my equipment is less now than what it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I had to own all the rigs. Right. You know, I, I, I spent a fortune on road cases for my speaker boxes and my amps, my right. bases and all that. Would you move them all around or did you have... <clears throat> Carters, so to speak, different car- towns. And- yeah, no, we had uh, we had roadies back then. Yeah, so yeah. They just did all that. Right. But these days, it's production is all supplied. Yep. So you just rock up with your bases and your pedal board and your suitcase. Mm. Which is kind of cool. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, show lengths is still the same. You know, it's an mm. hour and a half or two hours, whatever the case may be. Mm. Um, yeah, that's about it. You know. Yeah. Mm. Uh, musicians, I mean, I, I keep saying this all the time. We're like bloody cockroaches, mate. You know? <laughs> yeah, we are. You know, yeah. the economy can you know can have a, a downturn or it could have a boom period. It doesn't affect us. Even when it does have a boom period, it doesn't affect us. We're yep. still gigging and we still get the same pay. Yeah. You know, you can't go to your employer and say, "Oh man, isn't the economy great?" You yeah. Know? Mining how, boom, man. Yeah. How yeah. about another hundred bucks and I get stuff? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whereas, but you know, even in a downturn in the economy, who's still working? Musos. Yeah. You know, even if it's the odd geek here and there, you know. Yeah. Like, like I said before, we're cockroaches. We come out of the rubble, we dust ourselves down, say, so, right, where's the next gig? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Although, in today's case, although it, I think it might be like that for the last two or three decades, musos have still had to supplement their income. And what they do is they either get another job, a daily job, if you've got a family and mortgage and all that, t- 
totally understandable. You mm-hmm. have to. You can't just rely on just your weekend gigs. And yep. That's just nothing. Yep. You know. And I think it and actually, to be honest, it's that's how the trend is for the last four decades. You right. have to have some kind of day job. Yep. You know, and the music was supplementing. Even though you can call yourself a full-time musician, I mean, I've made a living out of being a full-time musician with no daytime job, yeah. and that's been tough. So yeah. it's been up and down, up and down. Right. But the ups have been so up that it just covers all the downs. So when you have the right. downturn, right. yeah, it's cool. We can relax, you know. If, you know, your partner might say, "Oh, when's your next gig?" You know, it's right. it's, not, it's not like that. It's you know, this bit of money in the bank, you know. Mm. pay this week's rent or mm. whatever mm. Um, it's a hard life uh, looking from the outside but when if you've been involved and you've been doing it all your life you don't notice anything sure you really don't yep. you know you've got to be a, a real idiot to to bugger it up you know if you you don't put any of your money away and you're just like oh I've got no money for rent next week or well, what have you been doing oh I just blew it on some whatever you know it's like yeah. well then you're a dopey bugger you shouldn't be out of museum at all yeah. you know yeah. but um, I tell you what's good that's come along for a lot of musicians in the last two years is Uber driving right that's that's helped a lot of musicians right. go out and supplement the income right. yeah. I've done a bit myself okay yeah I've been involved in for about a year and a half now. I found it very relaxing. Yeah. yeah it had nothing to do with... Uh, this was the period when I just had enough of teaching, right. like, you know, full-time. Yep. I thought, I want to do something different. I just want to just relax and just ease the mind and, and just meditate if you can. And I found Uber driving exactly that. It provided me my own time. Uh, I had my own music in my car. Sometimes yep. if I had to learn a repertoire, yep, it would yep. be in the car. Yep, and yep. I get paid for listen, learning it. And sometimes you'd pick up a passenger and they go, hey, that's great, can you turn that up? And they sure, oh, what's yeah. that? You know, and you're, oh, it's just a couple of guys I know. You know, you, And they try and shazam it, especially if it's original <laughs> music. And yeah. it's oh, it's not coming up. It's, oh, no, no, these are like yeah. original tracks. Yeah. Shazam, it'll be there next year. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. But no, I actually found Uber... Yeah. Um, Uber driving, fascinating. I've got a question on Uber. Me and my wife got the Uber Eats for the first time in the weekend. Okay. And we were, we were wanting to know, are the Uber Eats drivers the same as the normal Uber drivers? No, they're different. It's different, okay, right. Yeah, they're on motor scoot- scooters or bicycles. No, the guy rocked up in a car. Oh, oh, oh yeah. and I was going to say, or the car. Right, but it's yeah. it's not... A normal Uber, you don't go off and do Uber Eats deliveries, is that right? You can nominate to... You nominate to... You can, okay. yeah, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. I way, way off track. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know enough about Uber Eats to get yeah. involved. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. But, uh, hey, Uber's the way to go at these, yeah. this stage. I, I Sometimes I've, I've tried turning the Uber app on right. on my way home from a gig and I go pick up passengers... <laughs> So you you know make an extra fifteen twenty five bucks on the way home. It's like a couple of times I've risked it because my gear you know, it's, it's so full of stuff. Like I drop the back seat down. Yeah. So I'm thinking, have my fingers crossed. Like oh god, I hope I don't pick up a group. And sh- and sure enough, you only pick up one person. So that's fine. Yeah. They jump in like oh what's going on here? What's oh are you did you just play an event? Yeah. I'm just like oh man cool. So the conversation starts. You know you're, yeah. you're a muso. Yeah. Blah blah blah. You know, the first question you get from there, oh, so who have you played with? You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
sometimes you just tell them, oh, I play with the Rolling Stones. And <laughs> <laughs> depending on yeah, how pissed they are. Yeah, I love Paul McCartney, man. Yeah, yeah. I've got to tell you, though, I'll tell you what the highlight of my musical career is. I, I yeah, suppose yeah. you're going to ask me that question. What's been the most, you know, the highlight of your musical career? <clears throat> we did a tour. We supported Paul McCartney back in 1993 with Jenny Morris. Right. We did the whole Aussie run. Yep. We did start from Perth, blah, blah, blah. So what it was, the highlight of my whole musical career, I'll tell you right now, is sharing a joint with Paul McCartney and <laughs> Linda McCartney. Going from his lips to my lips, handing it over to Linda, and then in turn, <laughs> handing it to the guitar player who didn't smoke, but he, of course, you he have to night. do it. He <laughs> did, you know. Yeah, it oh, was amazing. It was fantastic. Wow. I'm thinking to myself, do I wash my hands and wash my lips? You know, <laughs> and he, it was so natural and so organic. And we were wow. out. It was it was the end of the tour party. It was in the big executive. They just hired a big executive home uh, home in the Balmoral Heights, right, overlooking the the, the heads of and all. Course. But it was nighttime, and you know, talking to Paul. It, it, Talking with Paul, it was not all about him. It was all about you, like the subject. You know? right. It was fantastic, man. He knew all details about... My missus couldn't come to the gig because I was that particular month or in that period. I was meant to, I was booked on holiday to go to Fiji with my son then. Abraham was only about two. And my missus said, you can't do that. You can't, you can't just come on the holiday and forfeit. You've got to do the tour. And he said, oh. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, no, it's okay. But I told Paul about it because you know, every time we have a party at a different city, she said, oh, where's your wife? You know, where's you? And I, well, the first time it happened, I said, no, they're going to Fiji for holiday. I'm meant to be there. And then he just kept talking about it every time with me and after the gig. Oh, he yeah. says, oh, so when's your wife coming? You know, <laughs> so, you know yeah, it's all Fiji. Oh, yeah. You know, talk about rugby and, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. Wow, it was man. only on the last night we talked a little bit about shop because... Yeah. Yeah, that was about the time just before, just after they did the uh, collaboration with Michael Jackson, you know, when they did uh, those Girl songs. Is mine Girl is mine, and, yeah. And, yeah. Was it Ebony and Ivory? Ebony and Ivory. That's with Steve. Stevie Wonder, yeah. yeah. But he was saying, back then, he was just saying, man, I don't need all. I mean, Michael, when we did the clip for that, for The Girl Is Mine, Michael kept teasing me, he says, watch out, Paul, I'm going to buy all those songs off you, you know, just joking with <laughs> And eventually it happened. Yeah, that's right. And he, they, his, Jackson's uh, lawyers wanted to do a deal with him, and he said, no, I can't do any deals because you've got to go through Yoko as well because of Lennon Estates, you know. So they did all that, and then Paul just said, I didn't need all that money. Right. You know, I've, my kids go to a, a public, not a public school. But they call a private school their public school, but just a normal school. Right. And he said, that's all, I don't, I can't take it all with me, man. It was such a profound statement, you know, mm. he made, you know. Mm. And he said, I, I think he, Michael, did do some deal with uh, Yoko as such. Right. Yeah. But that was, that was Paul, you know, that's how he was. Such a cool cat. That's so cool. He used to come and see us. Every every show we did, he'd always be there on side of stage supporting us. Right. Support act. Yeah. You know, Jenny who Morris. were you playing with at the time? Jenny Morris. Oh, Jenny Morris. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah you yeah. said that. Yeah. Who was in the Jenny Morris band? Um, 
Do you know a percussionist called Sunil De Silva? I don't know him. He's know a legend. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. He was in it. Yep. Uh, a drummer called Peter Chobo. Mm-hmm. Uh, guitar player called John Hamilton and on keys we had uh, we had a, oh Kiwi guy Tim Reddy mm-hmm. used to be in the Mockers the Mockers yeah yeah, 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 yeah. a keyboard player yeah. awesome so yeah that no, was good it was a nice run yeah but that was like yeah that is the highlight of my musical yeah. career yeah. sharing a joint with McCartney that's cool <laughs> I don't think we could top that Oh so, no! So it's, I, it's not a musical thing. No, no, no! It's, it's just, just fucking you know. Paul McCartney, man. I thought the Tower of Power story was fucking cool, but that, <laughs> that, oh, that, that was great too. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But just great cats, you know. Just yeah. you know, just so down to earth and so just cool. people, eh? Yeah. yeah. Just, mm-hmm. not, no one's above them or below them or anywhere. Everyone's just talking to each other on the same. Yep. And you know, I've kept in contact with uh, both of them, with Larry and David. Yep. Also with Larry, because Larry's left Tower of Power. Now okay. he's one of the singers from The Temptations. Oh, is that right? Okay. I mean, people just go, oh, The Temptations, but they wouldn't know who yeah. the yeah. individuals are because no, they're no. all gone now. Yeah. You know? mm. So, and he still rings me up every now and then. Hey, man, you know, put a band together, and you know, when we come over you know, on our days off, he's such a workaholic, you know. Right. I said, man, just come and relax, you know. Yeah, come too. Yeah, because yeah. they came through early this year. Yeah. The Temptations. Mm. But we always catch up. It's, it's really good, you know. Yeah. Well, Victor, okay. Victor rounds. Hey. You're a gentleman, sir. Oh, mate. One of the coolest cats in town. Oh, mate. Thank you so much for being on the Gig Life podcast. Um, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you and hearing your stories. And Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time out to come out. Too easy, man. Too easy. Too easy. And I hope everyone's everyone who's listening has enjoyed the stories as such. I mean, I, I should have dropped names to praise them, but I think they know who they, they are. Know who they are. There, That's so, quite cool, you know. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. uh, it's not a, all about name dropping. No, not at all. Except uh, except for the names that I've mentioned to you. That's yeah. outside of our industry and yeah, you know, sure. elsewhere. But uh, yeah. yeah, stories to tell. Yeah, you know? <laughs> we'll do a part two sometime. Eh? Oh man, yeah. yeah, no, it's all good. Awesome. Yeah. Nice to meet you, man. You too. Man. That's yep. really, I really dig it. Thank you so right. much. Cheers, man. Okay. Right. Cheers, good man. night. <laughs>